Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Steve and Julie. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full, there's no space left for alcohol. In this two-part series, we invite our friends John, Molly, and Liz to share with us what they believe to be the hardest part of sobriety. The discussion that follows covers subjects like mommy wine culture, dealing with difficult emotions, boredom, and learning to trust ourselves and our emotions. Listen as we all share about our struggles and offer support, wisdom, and advice. Remember that every time you hit like, or especially subscribe or follow, it lets the podcast platforms know that you think we've shared valuable content here. And other people that might benefit from our podcast will be more likely to see it. And Molly starts us off. So why'd you pick this topic, Steve? It's interesting. It was actually, I think, uh, something that Liz talked about. Liz asked me one time what the hardest part of recovery is. Do you remember that, Liz? It was just a random question one day, and you were like, what is the hardest part of recovery? I was like, oh, gosh. (laughs) I have like a vague recollection of asking you that, but I I remember when I asked, I didn't have an answer for it myself, and I still don't. (laughs) Yeah, like I kind of came up with something, and then like I think I said, for me, I think it's handling difficult emotions uh, without numbing them, and then I asked you back. You were like, I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> That's a great question. So then I told Steve, uh, like, this is a great topic for an episode. So here we are. So thank you, Liz, for giving us the topic. Oh, thanks. Just, li- just like that. I mean, really, if you think about it, that's a h- it's a really hard question. And it's a answer. huge open-ended question. Like there's, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like if you were to look into the future of possible answers, it would just branch off into like 80,000 subjects. But at the same time, that's actually why it makes it a cool question. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's definitely intriguing because like you said, it can go and you can take this really anywhere. And it really kind of depends. Like, so when you first said hardest, I was like, how am I going to define hardest? Because like, there's lots of ways for something to be hard, you know? And my initial thought was that I could consider hardest something that I'm dealing with the most often, like the most recurrent. So therefore it takes the most of my time and most of my effort because it's always there, you know? And in that respect, I thought just general like alcohol culture, because it's just the one unavoidable thing in life, you know? Like, I know, obviously, certain situations and emotions are unavoidable, but, like, just the advertisements. And if you even just want to watch one of your favorite shows or try a new show on Netflix, like, everything has booze in it, practically, unless it's, like, for kids, you know? So uh, that was what I thought of, was just the unavoidable reality of alcohol being everywhere all the time, you know? 
That's a really good point because I mean something, you know, like as a mom, there's and it gets talked about all the time, but like the mommy wine culture, right? Like, oh, mom's had a hard day. Go have a glass of wine. And even on social media, on Instagram, I follow these different like mom accounts and you get, you know, you see memes like that all the time. And so it's just this kind of it's like you said, Molly, it's just always in your face. Like you just can't get away from it. Yeah, and that one is really bothers me too, like the mom one especially, because it's like let's target a entire gro- like category of people that we know are usually overworked and tired, and like let's give them an immediate coping mechanism that we know is not going to be good for them. Like that's just really like evil, insidious stuff to me, right there. Plus, by definition, they've got kids to model this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think so true. Modeling it for the next generation. It's like free advertising. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I don't know, all the ads and all the, the TV shows. And it looks, it's, it's already hard to not romanticize drinking. Like it's, you know, I, like it's, it's nice out right now here. And so it's really easy to fall into I wish I could just sit outside and have a glass of wine on the back porch and and then when you watch all of that stuff it's just it makes the romanticizing even harder to to get past because it just it makes everything look all perfect and beautiful and lovely and it's really easy to forget all of the miserable awful things that actually come from trying to do that these days it's it's interesting Molly I was actually listening to your sober town podcast I've been listening to it because I get like bits and pieces in the car. That's how I listen to podcasts these days. And at one point you were talking about when you moved into your house and then when you had some time off of work because of COVID that you were using that time to drink, right? And as you were talking about it, I was like, in my mind, I was like, oh man, that sounds so great. And then it's like, but, but why? I mean, you know, it's like, I have this week off from work. And this is the first time probably ever I've had time off from work where I haven't been drinking through it, right? And But it's still like, that was something that I was thinking about kind of at the same time of our topic tonight, just thinking like, okay, just reprogramming my brain to not automatically hear like, oh, you have the day off and you were drinking through it. That's awesome. That sounds great. And be like, wait, no, actually it's not great, right? And I don't even want that for myself. But my initial reaction is like, that sounds like an excellent idea, you know? Yeah, it's it's so programmed in your head, like free time. Oh, it'll be better with with alcohol, you know, like because everything is better with alcohol. In the end, for me, I was even going to like see movies and like sneak in like those little paper boxes of wine, the miniature ones. Like I would just chuck two of them in my purse and just sneak them in the back of the movie theater, you know, because even that was fun. And it's just. Yeah, it's a very, very, like, deep internalized message. Just everything's better when you drink. But it's not cheap. That actually brings up, like, what's one of the hardest things for me is free time. And I've been having a little bit more distant lately. And part of it's, like, weather's a little warmer. I'm working outside. And then my shop, and when I'm exhausted, I'm not thinking about drinking. If I'm physically exhausted and working with power tools, like, I've never been that drunk. So I was like, you know, a table saw sounds like a good idea. But it's hard when, like, there's time off, like, it's going to rain this week, and I'm like, well, now what am I going to do? Well, you know, power tools, all the like, extension cord in the rain, like that. Now I'm more anxious. 
and we've had for a few summers where my um like we'll take like a little family vacation or something not COVID, but my wife has often said like i'll, I'll take the kids like on a trip with her family or something and, and all that i've had time off where it's just been like pulling me out of control that was in the last summer and they they might do something and part of me is like i love the quiet there's no kids love my wife but when she's gone it's great too but to do it sober is actually like i'm like i don't what, what am I going to do? I get really anxious. I don't, I, I homeschool my kids. They're here all the time. And now that they're getting a little bit older and they have lives, there are times where I'm just at home alone for like eight hours and I get super anxious. There are things to do. Like I can keep myself busy, but for whatever reason, that amount of free time just stresses me out. There are a lot of times I'll end up just taking like a really long nap because I have no idea what to do with myself. I don't think I'm usually really tempted to drink. It's just that for so long I did that I don't really know what to do with time like that anymore. Like I can usually use up an hour or two of free time pretty easily. But when you give me a huge chunk like that and there's no one in the house that needs that has needs that need to be met, you know, that I, I just get all stressed out and anxious and I don't know what to do with myself. I feel like that's something that I'm going to be experiencing coming up here real soon because I'm really never left alone, right? Like if I am, it's not really for that long. It might be a day, but normally like it's I'm running around, I'm doing something. There's not like, you know, I'm not really left alone for very long with the kids and everything else now i'm gonna be separated from from that i'm gonna have a weekend where it's like now what am i gonna do like i'm not used to at all making that decision let alone making heck of a lot of other decisions so i got like this whole new experience of steve coming up that's gonna be uh very very new gonna be very interesting um so like I can't say that that's going to be the hardest part yet because but I think that is going to be like what you guys are talking about right now. I'm going to be experiencing that. So that's going to be a whole new interesting dynamic that's going to happen. I'm going to have to just figure it out. It's just going to just going to have to. So that that anxiety, that anxiousness or that sort of thing. I'm I'm already like thinking in my head, what am I going to do? in that free time anything you want that's cool that's yeah. kind of the thing too it's, it's like for yeah well it's like anything i want what the frig says anything i want me <laughs> like i i was dead that's that's the question of adulthood you know All right. like that's not even sobriety that's just life like what do i do with my life <laughs> you know <laughs> so i think making decisions is really hard you know, it is. Like, yes. Now I'm, I'm, there are some things where I'm clear and I can be like, here's what I should do. And sometimes where like, I, now I'm like thinking about it too much where I'm like, oh, for the day when I, I was like half out of it and didn't care. I'm like, whatever was fine. Now I'm like, I'm not like that. And I just, it's too much, too much thinking. Um, and sometimes having decisions where I'm like, I don't, I don't like me. Like I've got a good answer. I just don't like it. Like I know I should, 
but I mm-hmm. want no part of this. But I'm insufficiently like blotted out to to run away from it. Like I used to just like I would like sometimes literally forget about things I need to do. Right? Like any bad idea that procrastinate on them and then just forget. Like I would put it off so long. Now there's none of that. Oh, I actually have to do the responsible thing. That's unfortunate. Though when I first quit drinking, making even the smallest decision felt like something I couldn't do. Like the first couple weeks, maybe two or three weeks, I remember like just trying to figure out which shoes to wear, standing there looking at two pairs of shoes, like frozen. My brain just couldn't process that simple decision it was really overwhelming for a while and I mean I'm a mom like I I didn't get to take time off when I was you know first quitting drinking and it was like it's one split second decision after the other all day long and I felt like I was just everything was just a fog and a blur and I had no idea what to do about anything it was really weird like it was almost surreal but I just couldn't could not make a decision for anything yeah, I, I remember moments like that, too. There is a vivid memory I have of probably for a good 10 minutes just pacing in my living room aimlessly, like just walking around in a circle, just like thinking out loud, talking to myself, just trying to figure out what I was going to do other than not drink, you know, because yeah. it's in the beginning, it's like that all encompassing thought, like, go do it, go do it, go do it. And then you have to just steer yourself away from that and for me like the natural progression of things became to do things that I know will benefit me in some way and at first that was like very practical things like just taking a walk you know it's like go get some exercise that's like a basic human necessity right drink water basic human necessity eat food basic human necessity (laughs) and I still kind of come back to those now. Like when I feel overwhelmed or when I don't know what to do, I'm like, well, just start with one of the basics and then see maybe how you feel after that. Simplify it. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about that because when I get into the state of overwhelm, which is where I kind of live these days, it's, it's like I know those specific tools, like what you just said, but it is so hard And that sounds so dumb because going for a walk is, in theory, as simple as opening your front door and just walking out of it, right? And But that, that, I almost become paralyzed in in inactivity or inability to do something that will make me feel better. So I'm curious what y'all do in those situations. I think I I call it aggressive self-care. Because there are things that I know I should be doing or that will make me feel better, but I almost have this whiny toddler response to them sometimes like, no, dang it, I don't want to do that, dang it, you know? But it's like in the back of your head, you're like, I know this will make me feel better, that's the adult talking, like, just do it, you know? And some some days it's even just like washing my face or trying to wash my hair, straighten my hair, just doing those little things that kind of make you feel better. And I don't know, like it's, I think it's because some of us find it hard to care for ourselves. And there's like that mental block, like I don't deserve this somehow. 
And sometimes I'm just like, shut up, do it anyway. <laughs> I have a list of things, especially for self-care. I actually sat and wrote a list one day of things that I can do. And it's everything super simple from just like Molly said, just wash your face and, you know, take a bath to other like go to the store and buy myself some flowers, little things like that, that are really simple. And they're kind of divided up into if I really can't muster the energy or the desire to do anything here, it's some very basic things that I can still do. But when I get to the point that I need those things, I can't even think about what they are. Like, I don't even remember more than just maybe go for a walk or whatever. So I actually have a list and a notebook where if I'm just falling apart, I can open it and look at it and see something that looks like I think I can do this one thing. And then I go and do it. Funny you say that, because when you were talking about that, I was thinking, I was like, once you get that emotionally wrapped up in, in something, you just forget a whole bunch of like really simple smart things you just forget it they just seem to disappear and so you just get stuck in that la la land so it's it's a good idea to have it written down somewhere because you can go and find a list that's that's solid all of the ideas are on the list so you only have to remember one thing not a list of five or six or seven yeah or that i was gonna say like when at work we talk about people having like crisis plans we're like literally print it out and stick it on your fridge like we want everyone in the house to find it for you now this plan may or may not really want to be in your house but like someplace very obvious like a physical copy can't miss it i think it's it's helpful i'll say like for me though i i didn't do less in the moment but i when I'm, things are going well like you know they're not going well. i have a list of my phone of things i'm supposed to do every day right and to kind of get ahead of some of it too when i'm when i'm at my most sober so that like I'm so good at putting them off or being like, I'm busy today. I don't want to do all these things that I know are going to be good for me. And some days I'm, I'm good at checking boxes, having streaks of success, and some days I'm not. Um, but it, it helps a little bit. Yeah, I have a list. I mean, especially, I guess, at the beginning, and my whole morning routine written out, my whole evening routine written out, and then in the middle was a list of things that I wanted to do each day. Like some of it was important, like fold a load of laundry or play with the dogs or play piano, little things that like I try to do a little bit each day. And whenever there's a day where like I, those paralyzed days where you're just like, what do I do? Sometimes it's nice just to have all of that stuff written there for you. So you don't have to think it's just, here's what you have to do on this day. And it, it really helps. It takes the thinking out of it because sometimes the thinking of things is just paralyzing when everything else is too much. I'm also a list maker by habit and by nature. So there's that. I love a list. So Molly, mm -hmm. this is one of the hardest things for me. And I know you probably experienced this too, is trusting my emotions. Actually trusting and believing that the way I feel is real, not questioning it. And I know you've helped me a bunch out with this one because I've questioned myself a lot. Yeah. I I will be happy to report now that I'm I'm almost at 19 months. So in the beginning of that, I couldn't make this claim, but like now I can definitely say that I'm 
pretty much trust my own emotions. Like there's there's certain circumstances that, that pop up that I just haven't dealt with yet that I still need to figure it out. But but yeah, I I know for the longest time. I it wasn't it wasn't just a simple process of like something happening and then me reacting to it being like oh that's how I think about that thing like that's how it is now I'll be like something happens and I'll be like oh that's how I feel right it was like something happens and I'm like oh should I feel that way is that why do I think this mm, like is is this something that I'm feeling because of this am I wrong for this like it was like this 12-step process to then decide on what the best thing to think is and even when I did decide I wasn't ever really sure I was just like I think this is the best that I can do right now you know yeah. and like and then maybe I thought about it like in- anxiously after the fact you know like when you lay in bed at night you're like did I do the right thing you know and then you think about it obsessively but no I don't really do that anymore so I don't know if it it was a lot of just therapy and getting over my relationship that like really trained my brain into you know like you went through Steve you know just doubting everything about yourself and that you're incapable and incompetent as a human and you have to you know get approval for everything but yeah just sobriety and I mean sobriety number one but then time and therapy (laughs) and friends those are all things that really Oh, for sure. Like, I mean, I went through a, like a really big, I mean, if it wasn't Friday, I wouldn't have gotten this far. I mean, that's, there's no doubt about that, but it's like the baseline. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's the beginning of the rest of this, everything else without that, you don't have any of the rest of it, but I had an, an extremely hard time with questioning myself, questioning how I feel. And I wrote it all down. I mean, you guys got to experience it all too. That was hard. That was really hard. Sitting in that and then wondering if I, the way I felt was right. And I mean, the amount of times I sat in, on this bed in a puddle of tears questioning that alone and that turning me into a puddle. Because I don't, now I'm paralyzed. Now I don't even know what am I'm going to, what I'm, I'm going to do next. Because I don't know that if I feel this way because of the conversation that I just had or how it went, or am I just nuts? Because I felt like I was nuts. I don't know how many times. And it took a lot out of me over and over and over again I mean I was told like this has to stop at some point you're gonna have to do something about this because it it uh, it got to a point where it, it like every weekend I was turning into a puddle because there was I, I ended up paralyzed well it it took all of that to finally wake up and say and it took people like you molly and it took people to continually reaffirm that your emotions are valid the way i feel is valid and it took a lot now i could tell you now that i don't question myself very much and 
And when I do, I'm questioning myself out loud. But that is super hard. It's super hard when you're when you go flip-flop back and forth and end up just being paralyzed by the entire situation and then digest it all over again and then look at something in a in a new like there's growth in every single one of those 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 little times that I turned myself in a, into a puddle when I was just crying and trying to figure it out there's little bits and pieces that of the puzzle that started getting put put together I just had to go through it all to get there if anything that was probably the most difficult part for me is getting through all of that get to where I am now and it's and I'm, and it's still not going to it's going to get easier in some ways and more difficult in other ways which is part of the adventure now it's just an adventure now it's just let's get on the horse and see where it's going to take me I kind of I can really relate to that mine was more I would feel something and strongly I just feel I feel everything strongly and then I would be made to feel like I was overreacting so for me, it was not necessarily doubting the emotion that I was having, but just feeling like it was too much. Like I, I was taking something, I was too upset, I was too sad, I was too angry, I was too whatever it was, um, and trying to figure out how to make it stop so that I was no longer overreacting. And that's where the drinking came in, right? Because as soon as you start drinking, then the emotions start getting numbed. And just letting myself feel things even though somebody else said that I was overreacting, just go ahead and feel it the way that I feel it. That I'm still learning how to do that without just trying to find some way to turn it off. I think that I had to realize when I quit drinking and all of the really big emotions came, I still felt like, what am I supposed to do to turn them off now that I'm not drinking? Reality is you're just supposed to go ahead and feel them the way that they are. And that took so I didn't I didn't understand that concept for a while. So I was still just fighting against everything. Because anytime I let any emotions out, at least you know, to the level that I feel them, it would make people around me uncomfortable. And then I'd just be told, You're taking it too far, you know, it's too much and it wasn't generally it wasn't anger. It was more just like sadness or or whatever it was. Um so I I really had to learn to just feel things the way that I feel them. And that's okay too, just because it's not the same way somebody else would feel it or the way somebody tells me I should be feeling it. Yeah. The words like should and shouldn't, I be, I realized really quickly that like, cause that's a lot of my internal dialogue, or at least it was it's like, I should be doing this. I shouldn't be doing it. And I'm like, why do I think that who gave me that should or that shouldn't? And then I think, oh, it was probably my mom doing this, or my dad doing that, or like society doing that, you know. And then I think, are they right? Like, why? Where's the logic and where's the data behind why they think something is right that I am currently thinking is that right? It's like, and then I, it's affecting my actions. And essentially, I came to this giant conclusion that everyone's opinion on everything is just the culmination of their trauma and the things that they have unresolved. And so should and shouldn't are completely subjective words and you can take them and do with them like as you want, but there's like, there is no like one answer and one correctness for any emotion. And it, you know, it's like there are people who 
are I mean that can just cry at like some random TV commercial. Should they? Shouldn't they? But that's that I look at people like that and I'm like, I love you. I love that you're that expressive. You know, like I wish I could do that. I have way too much buried still. I'm working on it. But yeah, there's there's no should or shouldn't about just about everything. You know? As long as it's not hurt anyone. Thank you for listening to part one of this two-part series. Listen next week as we continue the conversation. Also, I'd like to thank you for sharing space with us. Remember to subscribe or follow to keep getting new content. And if you have any comments or topic suggestions, we'd love to hear from you at throughtheglassrecovery at gmail.com. We'll see you next time as we continue to explore life on the other side of alcohol.